Yes, HDMI would be reconnected. What's up, everyone? Okay, so <clears throat> what happened is, if y'all have been following the stream sagas, uh, I've got a new tool that's supposed to free my CPU up, and I just hit the live button, and apparently it overrode my settings here, which allows me to control when the thing goes live. So we're live, y'all, ta-da, two minutes early, and uh, with an awkward little... Uh, intro here so we're just gonna run with it because this is was it hashtag <laughs> i won't i won't pull this may one. be our best intro of all time <laughs> unique <laughs> oh man i can't get over it the nerves every single time and then things were freaking out and everything was set up perfect and all of a sudden the computer like crashes five minutes before the stream you got to restart everything and that's where mistakes are made but What's up, everybody? We're in the flow now. Let's say hello to everyone who's with us in the comments here. Uh, Susan McPhee, hello from the snowy Boston area. Michael is in the house. Michael Soriano, Christian Schmidt, what's up? Hey, I can't see you. Yeah, hopefully we're good to go now. Sorry about that. <clears throat> I wish we could clip on uh, YouTube, too, when you're like on the live streams. I wish you could, you know, maybe like clip off. The first couple minutes of a stream or something but anyway uh dale jensen saying you mean i get to do this and make money all righty then yeah all right then indeed what's up dale john lily's in the house <laughs> hello yes you're live but no faces as michael says here we got it figured out babas is back <laughs> dale jensen hot mike uh maggie's in the house what's up vlad uh hmi would be recommended i'm not sure what that means but <laughs> Uh, okay, Christian, Kayla Williams is here, Vlad is here, Fernando, show me the money. We are going to talk all about that. We didn't do the intro, but we're going to talk all about uh, how to make money with Webflow, the different ways you can make money, um, kind of a little bit of our strategy. We'll talk about a lot of, lots of different things throughout the whole episode. So what's up, Christopher Coleman? Anna's here, Anshul, Felix, uh, Hogia, Penny is also in snowy Ontario. So what is going on, everybody? What's up, Joe? Say hello to the folks. Hello, hello. This is another good one for us. We're getting back on this business and sales and selling yourself type train. So yeah, this is a, is a good episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh Rocky starts aside, you know, I think we got a good episode today. So let's jump right into, we've got a few things to cover first. So let's run into a couple of, oh, you know what, I don't have it up. Let's run into a couple of events. Let's cover a few events real quick. Um, as we get into this, uh, dealing with difficult clients, the Webflow show, uh, super cool. Um, these folks are doing these shows regularly right after the show today. Uh, I believe that's on Twitter, Twitter Spaces. Um, there's a link in the show notes. Joe, can we maybe publish our show notes and share that out with the folks? And we'll pin that at the top so that everyone can have access to those things. Um, sorry if you're just joining us. We got a little bit of an early start um, due to some technical difficulties. We're jumping into events right here. Uh, Floxies tomorrow are doing a portfolio review event. If you're not part of the Floxies community, uh, it's a women-led community of designers and no-coders, and they do lots of cool things every Wednesday. You should check them out. If you're interested, you can go to floxiescommunity.webflow.io for that. Uh, and then demystifying OAuth for no coders, automate all the things. So Aaron Cornblit uh, always does a good job kind of introing people to no code and uh, demystifying some of the complexity around some of that stuff that he's talking about or uh, this next episode is all about uh, OAuth. Um, so 
with that, let's get into, um, Joe, some of the events, announcements. Uh, I guess that's all the events. Let's get into, I guess, the announcements here. Awesome. And I have just went and added the link to our show notes. Yeah, it's nice. You can go and access that. It's pinned to the message. And now let's get into it. What did you ask me to do? No, uh, I was just going to say we could start with the announcements. But yeah, all of our oh, notes great. are in there. They're rough. They're not perfect. But you can follow along with everything, all the links, all the resources, everything we're going to mention. We're going to just start doing this every week, uh, releasing these show notes for everyone so you can follow along and have that with you. So um, Joe just posted that as FinSuite, and that's uh, pinned at the top of the, the message there. So um, yeah, Joe, announcements. Announcements. Okay. Mark your calendars, Global Open House, March 24th. Rymar, what is Global Open House? What is this all about? Uh, I'm trying to be real smooth and present this right now, but my Mac is not playing nice. It's hiding my window. <laughs> Give me one second because we're going to go over to this screen, and then I'm going to show, like, uh, the Open House was a huge event that we did last year. It was the biggest, uh, we call it the biggest community-led networking event uh, of the year. Um, super cool. Lots of people from all around the world were hanging out inside of Gather here inside of this space. And so we're going to do that again. Uh, we started the planning process again. If we take a look here, actually, let me exit out of this view. And if we take a look here, Aviv mentioned that. So shout out to Aviv uh, on our planning committee. Uh, some of the folks have been gathering on Mondays to chat about that. Uh, we've got a cool little events committee forming. And in that same spirit, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about just the 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 um the camaraderie of all of this is that um like josh fry sits on our event committee we've done a lot of these events uh in the community and he captures a lot of spirit here this group is really about live meetups and chatting face to face rather than message boards we don't do a lot of like like our community is not a big discord thing it's not a, like always back and forth in slack it's not like a, a busybody thing but we do get together on a regular basis and we plan these cool events and so um as aviv was saying and as you can see here we're gonna do this thing again march 24th so save the dates for that as we um really pull together a super cool networking slash marketing event for the entire community um there's different we're gonna have like uh different panel discussions. We're going to break out regionally across uh, the different meetup groups. So there's meetup groups all over the world. And the goal of this event is to kind of help encourage people to join a local meetup and to help those local meetup organizers kind of put their events together and, and kind of glom on um, with all of us working together on a single event instead of each just doing a little event here and there. So anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Mark your calendar for March 24th. That's going to be an absolute blast again this year. Um, and last year, Vlad came. Yeah retweeted the event and we had a massive turnout. I remember we, we purchased a certain amount of seats and right away, I think within 10 minutes, Reimar was like, purchase more, double the order. <laughs> and we doubled our the amount of people that were able to access the space. Yeah. So last year was, it, it was just awesome. Yeah, I'm I think excited. we were expecting like 150 last year, ended up with like 225 when we kicked off the event, uh, something like 500 plus people came through the entire night. So it was just a, a, a complete blast. You never know who you're going to run into. There was like little impromptu meetups happening. As you can see here on the screen, there were like little help booths that just popped up and uh, kind of we created the space. But um, shout out to everyone in the uh, community who really helped us pull that off last year. Actually, you know what? Let me 
not just yeah we'll 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 have more on that as we go but just save the date uh we're gonna have more on that as we kind of as we kind of get going so um the next one's kind of a big thing too um we might want to share this link directly joe the Airtable link sure we're thinking about a fin suite um community retreat something or other uh, we don't know where, we don't know how yet. We're very early in the planning processes of this. Um, so if you're interested in doing something like that, if you'd be interested in spending a day or two learning about FinSuite, getting involved with the community, getting hands-on, personal, professional development, et cetera, um, Joe just shared a link in the comments. Please fill that out, share some of those details with us. Uh, we're looking to collect kind of information about where a price point like this should be, uh, where people who are interested are in the world. Um, we just want a, a, a rough little bit of details that we can use as a planning committee. So if you're interested in something like that, uh, please fill that out. Um, Joe, want to take the next one? Or any thoughts on that? <laughs> That's kind of a big one to just well, walk right by. <laughs> yeah, we, we could do a whole episode about that. I know. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see how many people may be interested in this. Uh, this is totally a test starting from an idea um we'll follow up on this there's plenty to talk about around yeah it. yeah this is super early and there's a lot more to talk about here but we just want to get some preliminary thoughts on if there's actually interest for doing something like this so this is our first official outreach um and we'd love to get your feedback even if yeah just whatever we even ask in there thoughts about what you'd like to see what you might expect from an event like this type of activities you'd like to do so um yeah feel free to fill that out and that's all we'll talk about now uh we'll probably send that out a couple other times too but um anyway and very cool any hint on destinations you're considering uh we had talked about europe um we don't know the u.s is still in play obviously um yeah this is too early so grace was asking um very cool any considerations on location no this would be fun need to sell a few websites first yeah for sure um ezekiel saying awesome ciao amici for sure so um yeah 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 again super early um we will continue to uh roll those thoughts out as we go so uh next announcement joe Next, we have John Clark from Red K Studio posting on Twitter that he launched the 35th website of his studio, second this month, and credits FinSuite client first. Yeah. This is a really nice achievement. So anytime we see this, this is uh, it really makes us happy at FinSuite knowing that we can contribute to this type of success. So great job, John. Yeah, shout out to John for uh, kicking butt there and shout out to... Uh... I uh, said shout out to Client First and to Reloom Library, too. So we had the Reloom nice. Library folks on last week. If you missed that episode, check it out. Um, uh, Joe, I'll let you take this one, too. Next, we have Jesse Neiman from FinSuite. Jesse is our technical project manager, and he shared a thread about what we do at FinSuite to help us manage projects. We create two Slack channels, an internal one and a client team one through Slack Connect. We will um, keep these conversations separate. We add people to these to these channels and go and check out this thread. Jesse has been a really big impact on helping us focus more on sales versus focusing more on project management and not having those roles collide. So go check that out. Jesse's a has a bright future here at FinSuite. Nice. 
Okay, and the last thing we're going to do on the community shout-out side is actually a post that I just made uh, because it kind of leads right into uh, what we're going to talk about, making money with this tool. Webflow is an incredibly powerful tool. Uh, it's easy, and I think I'm even guilty of saying it's easy right, to use this tool. It's easy to build websites. It's, but to, the matter of fact is that learning Webflow and using Webflow is not necessarily easy. Right, it may be easy for us who are veterans. It may be easy if you understand HTML and CSS to come over and make the transition maybe a little easier. It's definitely easier than learning front end code, but I really think that we as a community need to start valuing the complexity of the work that we're doing here. And we shouldn't be bragging. I know it's exciting to say, hey, I built this site in three days. But you probably spent a lot of time over those three days and, and don't diminish your work by saying it was easy. And don't let clients think that your work is easy because then it's harder to charge more for that work, right? And if the industry is easy and if it's so easy to spin up websites, then it's harder for us as an industry to kind of elevate the level of the work. And if I'm just learning this tool and you're telling me that it's easy and I'm struggling with it, you're invalidating kind of my experience and maybe like you're holding me back from feeling as comfortable or, or thinking like maybe there's something wrong with me because I can't figure this out. And so uh, just just something to consider as we get into this conversation about making money with Webflow. Um, just just think about that, that as a projection. If you're interested, uh, reach out. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Twitter. There seem to be tons of comments coming in on that. So I'm looking forward to jumping in after this episode and getting into those. Joe, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. This is a word that we do not like to use in sales. Mm. Anytime I see this word easy in sales, I correct the person that's saying it because it may be easy to you, but that doesn't mean it's easy to everybody. Right. It's not easy to the client. It's not easy to the other Webflow developer that could be hired. So just stop using this word, Yeah. especially out in public, especially when you are selling. Yeah. So yeah, and it's much easier than pounding on bricks or, you know, doing a million other things you could be doing. <clears throat> it is easier than, again, learning code, but that's a relative easy, you know. And so, um, again, I get it. It unlocks a superpower and you get so excited because you're like, I can build this. Holy shit. <laughs> but but uh, just yeah, keep some other folks in mind. Um, if anybody has some thoughts there, actually, let's see. Um Let's go. Pen, let's let's do a couple comments. Penny saying valuing the work you do is important. The client gets value from the work you do. Um, Michael Soriano, I work as a window cleaner and now I build websites with Webflow. It's not easy, nice. but very possible. That, that's yeah. What else you want, you know? Um, and even if the tool is fairly easy, making websites is so complex, especially if you're doing it right. If you're making them accessible, if you're doing all the different things, and so uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Let's get into it, Joe. Let's start talking about uh, making money with Webflow because there's a bunch of different ways to make money. And here's how we're going to approach the episode today: we're going to talk about the different business models. We're going to talk about the different roles you can take, right? So freelancing, building an agency, selling templates, building product. Like we're going to run through all the different types of roles that you can play in in making money with Webflow, and then kind of some of the business models. So we'll start out with explaining a few of the business models. These are kind of the core ways that people charge money for the work that we do in Webflow. Um, and so you can consider any one of these as a route to making money with Webflow. And we'd love to hear your thoughts as you're going through this. So what type of Webflow-related work drives the money for you? We usually have a little audience prompt. So leave the thoughts in the comments.
elements. Are you a template maker? Are you an, a freelancer? Are you an agency owner? Are you just getting started? Like, tell us in the comments where you're at in your Webflow journey and uh, on the process to making more money with Webflow or even making that first dollar. A lot of times that first dollar is the hardest to get. Um, but hopefully some of the advice we give you today will help uh, ease that path. So, Joe, uh, do you want to kick it off with some of these ways to make money with Webflow and the four things you must do? No, I'd love to start with the disclaimer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every single episode has a disclaimer. That's right. So we got to do that first. Okay. All right. Disclaimer for this episode is not everybody's going to pick up Webflow at the same pace. Some people may learn the platform much quicker. Some people may take much more time. It can depend on past experience or just what type of a learner and creator you are. So don't compare yourself to others. Just because somebody has a success story of being ultra successful in one year does not mean that that is your path. I, so I also can I yeah. can I just want to like if we can update one letter here. Not everyone will learn at the same pace. So I think that's wild that it's learn and earn, you know, like it's just so close. Uh, the parallel there. And so, yeah, people learn and people will earn at different paces. Yeah. Um, and then there's a second disclaimer. Um, that's kind of important to keep in mind, especially as we talk about some of this, people claiming it's easy online. It's that just because if just because you're loud or just because you have a big presence online doesn't necessarily mean you're making the big bucks. Right. Lots of people that are making lots of noise online that probably don't have the deal flow that you might think. And then there's lots of people that are making a ton of money that you probably never hear of online. So uh, we do live in that social world. It is important. It can help you. Right. It's not going to hurt you if you're getting exposed and you're building exposure and you're building your presence online. That is a great way to make money and to build kind of the uh, attention demand that you need to generate the type of leads that it takes to grow. We've talked about that in previous episodes, but it doesn't always equate to that. So the louder you are doesn't necessarily mean the more money you're making. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on that last description? Yes. And you should know that FinSuite was not active in the community, did not do anything publicly until we were successful. So this is proof that you just don't need to, to be out there to have success. Right now, that's one of our strategies to be very loud and to market widely. But in the beginning, it was the exact opposite of that. So different strategies. There's no right or wrong. You have to do what's best for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's take a couple of these questions. To, or let's take a couple of these uh, comments, actually, before we right, jump, jump into it. Really appreciate this perspective. I normally use easy as a comparative example. It's easier to build custom and Webflow than WordPress. It's good to consider the implications of the statement, though. Yeah, Christopher, that's exactly what we're just trying to get people to, to think about there. Uh, Brandon saying everything is easy when you know how. Yeah. For, yeah. <laughs> for Beethoven, playing the piano was easy. You know, um, but go ahead and try to play some of those songs and you're going to wish you had an extra 10 fingers. And back to the last comment, I think Christopher's, you can very easily change the word easier to more efficient, more effective, more modern, more user friendly. Uh, there's a lot of words that you can use to really describe Webflow in a positive way without easier. Yeah, that actually, I think, are much more powerful than easier. Nice. Okay, so we asked you all to share your past with us and how you kind of are where you are on your journey. And so some of y'all did. Max Norris is saying he started with Webflow and websites building in mid-2020. Last year earned 120K. I don't know if that's, I think that's nice. euros. Uh, yeah, great. Um, ukulele, it's not that easy, but you can do so much with it. I, yeah, that's, that's a good point here. Um, let's see. 
Max follow up before that I worked as an architect with 10 years experience and didn't get close to this uh, loan. I don't know if that means loan or annual income or what. I don't know uh, what that loan means, but um, yeah, I, sure. Kayla started as a freelancer, then boutique agency owner, hopefully future template builder. That's a great, nice. that's a great path. Uh, very similar to Vimalon here, transitioned from a freelancer then to an employee, now to a little agency. That's a very common path. I think you'll see that w that's kind of the path that um, most people take in this space. Christopher Coleman started as a freelancer, but as I go on, it's pretty clear that I'd like to transition to a Webflow no-code support role instead. Interesting. Ooh, okay. Nice. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good observation. Um, Joe, you want to take Grace's comment here? Yeah, Grace with the plus one for presence not equaling success. Got a lot of comments that I came out of nowhere when I hopped on Twitter, but I had been building in Webflow for four years. Mm. So Grace was secretly becoming a Webflow pro for four years, then turned on the lights, and now everybody looks at her work and says, wow, you're great. Yeah. But it was four years of just learning the skill, understanding the platform before that actually happened. Yeah, and that's the same story with a lot of things, right? It took, take, yeah. There's a famous quote, I don't know exactly how many years, but it's like, it took seven years to become an overnight success. And it's the same kind of thing, right? Like most people, that's why when we talk about comparing at the front, you know, it's hard to do because you don't really know the path that others have taken in front of you or the path you've taken, right? Like people come from different paths. Like I consider myself a non-traditional entry into the tech world. Uh, I grew up in a world where I was not exposed to a lot of technology and a lot of computer stuff. And um, it was later in life that I got really interested in a lot of this. And um, yeah, it's people come from all different backgrounds, especially in the no code space, right? We're not all MIT grads. We're not all computer science graduates from, you know, some some big university. We're, we're mostly just folks that are problem solvers. We're creative. We're builders. We're tinkerers. We're makers. We're bloggers. We're storytellers. And, you know, and, and, and we're salespeople. And we're trying to figure out how to make money with all this. And that's where this comes from. So, um, Let's see, uh, Joe, did you see there's a bunch of comments now coming in? Uh, just transitioned, Felix says, from product design to freelance web designer last December. Great. Um, Brandon, agency owner for 18 years, last two years been invested in Webflow, all the ups and downs that go with it. Stephen wow. Lario, currently a freelancer. Yep. Lots of freelancers in the house. Fernando, mainly landing pages and corporate websites. Great. Um, high school student to freelancer. Love this. Ben, Ooh. go get it. Nice. Yeah, go get it. Heck yeah. Uh, jump. I mean, you imagine making six figures as a high schooler <laughs> coming out of high school and you're like already just killing it, even to make it like 20 or 30, 50 grand, whatever, you know, like, dude, yeah. uh, I used to work at McDonald's Kitchen. Now I'm a system admin and web developer. Andrew Jennings getting nice. at it. Love that. Um, I see. I recently tried out Webflow full time on my own design agency. Recently found out you guys via community. Super excited. First live stream. So what's up? Shout out to us. See. Nice. Um, okay. All right. Okay. I think that's good. Let's jump into the four so, things because we'll never get to them. Here. I know. I love it. Let's Please keep sharing it. your comments with us. We love hearing this stuff. This is one of the reasons Joe and I do the show is to really pass as much of our sales and growth knowledge as possible out to you and the audience. And we love hearing your stories. We love hearing when y'all win, when you have success. So please keep telling us that, but let's jump into the four things you must do if you want to make money with Webflow, and we've done episodes on each one of these, so we're going to reference an episode as we run through these four quick tips. Joe, you want to start it out? Okay, number one, learn the platform inside and out. Really understand Webflow. This is, I am something really passionate about. We had episode number three, increase sales with Webflow technical knowledge, and today, 
episode 51. I agree with that statement completely still. It's so important that you understand everything about Webflow, that you're a true pro in the platform. And when somebody asks you how to do something, you know how to do it. This, I think, is I'm glad it's number one because I really think it's a must to get to that next level to be truly successful here. This is it. You can make a little bit of money. Maybe you get away with because there's a lot of people in WordPress that do this, too. They're just a theme styler. Right. And this will happen in Webflow. A lot of people will start doing this position, especially as component marketplaces come out and templates get a little better and you can connect CMS to certain things. So you'll be you'll see like things migrate into this world where you could probably get away with a, a, a surface level understanding of Webflow to make little changes and do little things here or maybe booby trapping a site so the person behind you can't make any edits without having to rebuild everything. Um, but to really take that next step and build that ongoing reputation, this is it. This is where it starts. This is the foundation from which everything goes. And so go back. Episode three, we harp on this as a full episode, but we talk about this ongoing in all the different episodes. So let's move on to number two um, of which is overcoming limitations. What's missing in Webflow? Um, knowing the platform lets you know how to push the limits. And Joe, you're the expert at this. this is how you built FinSuite. Um, you know, kind of filling some of those gaps. Uh, FinSuite on the outside of the agency side, right on the product side, the community side, those things, right? Obviously, we're building websites before that stuff happened. But overcoming those limitations is something that happened in the process of dealing with clients. And you started releasing those things to the community and voila, that's how this all started. And so um, knowing the platform is one thing, but then learning how to push past it is the next thing. Uh, thoughts on that? It's important if you're on a sales call, you're trying to make money from Webflow and somebody asks you to do something, you should know how to do it or be able to firmly say why it's not possible, truly not possible. The more you can figure out how to do it, the more times you can say yes, and the more you look good in that sale. So if you keep saying, no, that's not possible, we can't do it because of this limitation, we can't do it then this, this limitation, you are mis-selling Webflow. People are going to think that Webflow can't do anything, but really, you have a responsibility to understand how to overcome these limitations. So you can say, oh yeah, we can use this for this solution. We can't do this, but I can do this, this, or this, which is kind of similar. Super powerful. This is also going to get you to that next level. I just want to point out that I noticed you have lights in the background now, Joe. <laughs> Shout out to your lights. I am. I do. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to get to your level. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Number three of the four things you have to do is build a portfolio that stands out, let your work speak for itself, and then promote yourself in the proper channels. Right. Uh, we did a full episode on this, how to build a portfolio that stands out. And we talk about it on and on and on. I think even during our sales episode, uh, the, the most recent sales episode, we jumped into like, look, you got to promote yourself. Right. You have to become a salesperson um, and, and, and ask for that sale. Joe, any, any thoughts on that? I know you always yeah, talk about it, building the portfolio. It doesn't have to be loud. Similar to our earlier comment, you don't need this loud, ridiculous website. That's not what we're saying by build a portfolio that stands out. Mm. We're saying build a portfolio that somebody looks at and they can identify you as a company, identify you as an individual, really start to feel the type of work that they're going to receive. This is what we mean by build a portfolio that stands out. Yeah. Don't just take some template that has white backgrounds and simple text and it just looks like every other portfolio yeah. this makes it much more difficult 
to stand out. Right. And the and I agree with that. It doesn't have to be some big splashy, super interactive portfolio. It's just you got to do it, um, and it's got to reach the target audience. Um, and that's what helps you generate the high quality leads. So number four of the four is generating high quality leads. Um, Joe, I'll let you. Oh, Joe's sharing the links right now. So. Um, yeah, so we talk about this all the time. You can't have the walkaway power. You can't really grow your income until you have steady lead flow. And to generate the proper lead flow, you have to learn the platform, understand and push past limitations, build a portfolio that stands out and reaches that audience. And then as the fourth step, you really have to like, that's it, right? Like if you're doing those first three, the fourth one should start coming into place. You should start generating the type of leads you need to get to that next stage, um, which allows you to then kind of go uh, into the next phase of, of making money with this. Uh, Joe, any, any thoughts before we move on there? That's a good list. Just a, a quick run through of those four things before we move on. Learn the platform inside and out. That's number one. Number two, learn how to overcome common limitations so you can say yes more when you're selling. Number three, build a portfolio that stands out. People need to relate to this. People need to really love your portfolio. And number four is learn how to generate quality leads. And with those four things, you are set up to start making money with this platform. That's, that's what you need. Yeah, and Pablo's making a really good point here. To make serious money with Webflow, you have to see yourself as a front-end developer, not just a Webflow developer. You have to be able to incorporate all aspects of HTML, CSS, JavaScript libraries, um, and even some integrations, some of that no-code stuff. This is where no-code becomes powerful, adding an Integromat, adding a Zapier, adding an Airtable back in, like doing all of these things, right? This is where you can really take the next level, and that's what we, that's what we mean by pushing the limits of the platform, right? Bringing other tools to, to, to bear that allow you to do the things that Pablo's talking about here. We talk about front-end as a service all the time. That's what's evolving here, right? We're seeing the birth of an entire industry in this no-code visual software development space. And that's what, you know, this excitement is really, you know, a buzz about. So, um, Joe, do you want to start us off? And Should we jump into these pricing models? Or do you see anything I'll, in the I'll comments that we need to address? i final comment on Pablo's. Oh, yeah. This is exactly what number two is. Learn how to overcome common limitations. Mm. The only way you can truly understand how to overcome these, these limitations is if you understand the principles of HTML and CSS. You don't even really need JavaScript for some of the limitations. But once you start to understand these things, and yes, you see yourself as a front-end developer, you can start creating customizations and getting over those limitations, which is, yeah, Pablo, absolutely agree here. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, and real quick, uh, Dale is saying, independent brand marketing designer, adding Webflow open a great opportunity. Great, WKD starting as a freelancer like two to three years ago, now about to launch his agency, great path. Um, let's see, a flight attendant. <laughs> so three years now as a front end developer. So ukulele, shout nice. out for that, yeah. Um, and Susan talking about retainers, which we'll talk about here shortly. Turning them all into client first. Great. Awesome. So glad to see that that's coming together. Joe, let's go into the um, different pricing models. Okay. Uh, the, <clears throat> the first pricing model we go over is fixed fee work. This is... I'm going to complete this amount of work for this flat fee regardless of what happens. It could take me one hour. It could take me a thousand hours. If it's not specified, it's fixed fee. Uh, this, 
This is something that FinSuite did a lot earlier in, in business, and we still do it today. We have most of our new agency work is fixed fee work. It is a little risky. There are some risks attached to fixed fee because you could go way over, but there is a really good confidence in the person you're selling to that this is what's going to happen. I'm not going to see a bill double this size. I'm not going to see something way over this amount. This is what the fixed fee is. So this is, I think, a good strategy, especially for newer people that that are really trying to show, hey, I'm going to finish this work and I'm going to earn this money. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good way to kind of just enter the market. Same thing with freelancing, which is going to be talk about next is, is after we get through these little uh, models here of how you charge. Um, yeah, this is a good way to just say, oh, I can do that for X. And if you get real efficient, you make a lot of money. If you right. take a lot of time, maybe you make less money. And so this kind of helps you then start gauging what you can charge for, um, what your what it takes to get things done. Uh, but it also allows you to make approachable pitches to clients early on. Um, somebody here, Gargulek, is saying, do you think it's hard to get a job as a Webflow developer as a beginner with well-made personal project in my portfolio and good understanding of HTML, CSS, and JS? I don't think so. I think, you know, if you have some of those skills, you could probably get the job, but maybe you have to start at a lower tier because you don't have a client, you, you don't have a work that represents, you know, something that a, another customer might be like, oh yeah, I want you to make it look like that, so I'll pay X, right? And so that's where that barrier sometimes come in, but um, yeah, fixed fee is a good way to just enter the market and say, hey, for a thousand bucks, I'll do this. For three grand, I build a website. I see a lot of people who do fixed fee websites are like, we charge 3,500 bucks for a three to five page website. We charge $5,000 for a eight to 10 page website. We charge $10,000 for X. And that includes all of ding, 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 ding. And it's just that, right? You don't pay more. You don't pay less. There's no hourly charges, nothing like that. That's fixed fee stuff. Um, and I think that's a, a good place to kind of get started in the space. Um, uh, the other one that's super popular. Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, the pro, uh, uh, another core pro to sum all that up is it's easy. You can put it into a pricing table, just like Rymar showed. This many to this many, it's this flat cost. We we win a little bit more on the three pages. Maybe we spend a, a few more hours on the five pages. Mm. But it's easy, and yeah. I think easy for both sides. Yeah. Yeah, and Christian Smith brings up a good point here. Fixed fee makes you improve your process and work more efficiently because if you can get good yeah. at charging $5,000 for a website and it takes you a couple hours to do it, um, you know, if you're just selling templated things and you get, hey, good on you, I guess, you know, so, um, yeah. or if you're taking a hundred hours to do the same project for $5,000, like, yeah, it's not, not real profitable time. So, um, and Penny's saying fixed fee, this goes right the same thing with what Christian was saying works. If you do good discovery before you give the client a proposal. So if you can properly estimate and you'll get better, you know, you'll get burned a couple of times and then you'll just get better at that. <laughs> like a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I can do that. No True. problem. It's like, oh, I just, it's no big deal. Right? It's easy. Yeah. And then you go and you try to do it and it's not. <laughs> so just again, be careful with that word easy. Um, and okay. So the next one is hourly engagements, right? So you have the fixed fee model, which is kind of like, I'm going to do the whole project for this fee. Uh, hourly, and usually you might hear this referred to as like time and materials. Typically, this means that um, maybe we have an unknown task or we have 
just some unknown list of tasks and you're just going to get to work. And so somebody hires you and they're like, hey, we agree on an hourly rate and you just bill us as the work comes in. Accountants work like this. Uh, lawyers work like this. Lots of people work in this type of business model and it works real well in the uh, web design space. The problem is you got to make sure you log all the hours and you have to make sure that you're not super efficient. If you find yourself being like crazy efficient in some of this, like you can, you probably need to raise your rates, right? Um, and it takes some, some time to do that. But hourly rates is, again, another I'd be interested uh, between fixed and hourly if the audience has any preference on what they see um, the best value from. Joe, any thoughts on, on hourly? At FinSuite, we use hourly as well. We do both the hourly engagement and the fixed cost. Mm. Fixed cost is usually when there's some defined scope, just defined spec. So maybe a new website build or they're building a resource center, something like that. The hourly engagements, like Reimar said, is we don't know. We, we have a whole bunch of things. Some may take long, some may take short, and they come up daily or weekly or monthly. This is a great way to do maintenance. So yeah, the hourly engagement, we just started it last year and it's been a big success for us. We have people very happy with the setup. Yeah, yeah. Um... And that kind of goes, if you're, let's say, doing a bunch of hourlies for someone or if you want to take it to the next level, you can kind of get into like a retainer or subscription-based billing. That's kind of the next popular model, if you will, business model in the space. And that's kind of selling blocks of your time or selling regular access to whether it's design services or development services. Maybe someone can call you with, uh, we used to run a WordPress management service where um, you got a certain number of edits, right? And we call it an edit or update, anything that was less than like 15 or 20 minutes on the site, something like that. Uh, and so depending on what tier you were in, you had one edit a month or you had five, up to five edits a month or up to 10 edits a month. And we kind of define those and you would pay for a block. This is very common in the WordPress world. We talked about some of that in the last couple episodes, but a um, little less common here because there's less maintenance, but people do still sell other services. If you're selling SEO agreements, if you're selling uh, marketing engagements, if you're selling other things, this is where you can get people into that uh, retainer. Maybe you want to sell some somebody 10 hours a month ahead of time and you discount those hours because you know they're going to guarantee you 10 hours each month rather than just hourly and you you know maybe they don't call you for three or four months so there's that that's uh retainer work slash subscription work is kind of that third tier um joe anything to add on that that's a good one uh we don't use it at finsuite it's some people want it there are some clients that ask for this. We found that it was better to just go in real time. You want something, we give you a quote and a product around this. It may make sense for you. Just like Reimar is explaining with the one to five edits or one edit. Didn't work for us, could absolutely work for you. It, it, I, I like to think of this model as almost like a product, uh, a, a really, a, a super defined service that can be performed on an ongoing basis. Yeah, um, let's take a let's take a little look at the comments here, real quick. Um, as Dale saying, I've done fixed, I've done hourly. For me, it depends on the scope of work. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. If you can yep. kind of guess and put the scope inside of a box, the fixed fee is good because then it's all about how good you are at estimating the amount of time it takes you to do the work or the complexity of the task at hand. Um, and the hourly stuff is kind of more for that unknown or on demand service for sure. So. Brandon saying we used fixed for initial projects and hourly for updates or scope creep. 
That's a good model. Yep. Yep. Um, Sine, do you want to take a little stab at this, Joe? What if the client says it's too expensive, even though, we, even though we've done whole budget, uh, whole episodes on this? Well, if it's if they say it's too expensive and they have the budget, that may mean that you're not selling it well enough. So if 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 it comes in within their big budget, they should be very excited about that. They should be ready to say, "Yeah, let's do it." So number one, you may not be selling it well enough, but maybe they're just saying it's too expensive because it's out of their budget. And in that case, first you may be working with the wrong person. Uh, and just some people want to spend a too low of amount of money on a website, uh, or you could just be very firm with your pricing. Say, this is the price for it. You can get it lower. There's a lot of people that can do it for lower. There's a lot of people that can do it for more, but I know that I can complete exactly what you need for this price. Yeah. Just stand firm. That's, that's how we handle too expensive. Yeah, Keith Keith Armstrong. I, I agree. That's a that's a good. Uh, and we've done episodes on that. You know, we've done go back through the archive and look at some of the older sales episodes. We talk a lot about how to deal with this. Um, it's even in the objections episode, which we just did fairly recently. I think mm. we talk about that. Keith is uh, saying we do a monthly management service for a fixed monthly rate. This is great. Primarily working with brands who want regular landing page updates, CMS, etc. Yeah, it's a good model. It's a good reoccurring business model to have this kind of thing after you deliver the website. You know, a couple hundred bucks a month. Uh, a lot of people like to do this. It gives people just security of having someone on call, right? A business maybe doesn't need to update their website regularly, but they might like the peace of mind of paying 100 bucks a month or 200 bucks a month knowing that they can call someone up and say, hey, I need this fix like right now, right? Because uh, without a service agreement in place, a business may not have uh, a recourse for that, right? You may leave the website and if they don't know web, web flow, well, okay. So what, what Keith is saying here is a good, good, good uh, selling point there. Um, Tanner, I want to talk about value-based pricing uh, actually a little bit. We strictly do value-based pricing, so it's completely dependent on the value we'll be providing the company for the work we'll do and the results we'll likely get. I know this is like a popular thing. This is like something that a lot of these big web consultants do, and they're like, are you going to generate a million dollars in revenue with your website next year? Well, then I think that's worth 10% of your web revenue, blah, 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 and so your website should be $100,000. Fuck off with all that, right? Like As a business owner, you're almost never going to close a deal like that. That's not to say that you can't sell based on the value you generate. And I'd be interested to know what Joe says about this. But I don't know that like setting this, you know, just because somebody's going to do $10 million a year in sales next year on the website you build for them uh, doesn't mean you are entitled to a percentage of the sales that they're going to generate on that website as the web developer. Um, at least that's my perspective. Joe, any thoughts on value base or um, this kind of model that's contingent on what the results of the website are going to be? Well, when I look at value-based pricing, I see the side you just explained, but I, I see more of a different side. Mm. So what you explain absolutely makes sense. And I also agree with you that it shouldn't be some percentage of the potential of the website. That seems very silly. What I see more as value-based pricing is we're setting up this on your website. It has this type of value to you as a business not monetary, maybe a significant improvement to your sales flow mm. or a significant improvement to your marketing funnel. Uh, I, there's a great example. We, we sometimes set up a gated content system on somebody's website and we have a fairly simple way to set up a gated content system. And since we've done it so many times, we can usually get this going in an hour or two, but 
we don't always bill for an hour or two. We do bring in some of that value-based pricing because we set this entire system up for you. This is going to completely change how leads come to your website. Yeah. I don't know if you should be spending $200 for that. Yeah. So that's another side of value-based pricing. You I, know, this is a significant thing to your business. Yeah. You should be paying for it. And also we've, we've done this work before we, just because we can do it really fast doesn't mean you shouldn't pay for it. Mm. We talked about that before. Uh, that's that's where the hourly sometimes does mix with some of the value based. Yeah, yeah. This is where I do I, I do agree with some of the value based stuff, and maybe I dismiss it too quickly because what came to mind immediately were some of those you know charlatans that just tell you that like you should pitch to businesses a percentage of whatever blah blah because that's the value we bring. Right. I've seen uh, that. I but I do that. also think that hey customer if we can increase your conversions and let's say you're selling a $10,000 widget and your website's a $10,000 if we can increase your conversion by x you know this or if we can help you sell one or two more things per month that's a value add that you can then help to justify a higher price uh, again i don't know what you need to back that up right what you need to show them what kind of conversion success what kind of portfolio you might need to have to get somebody to bet on that um, and there's one model we probably won't talk about because there's um just one, one thing left that we're going to skip into the next thing but um oh shit and i just lost it um no, nope, it'll come back to me. Um, I literally just lost it thinking about jumping ahead. Um, it'll come back to me in a second. Let's, let's jump to the next one. Um, okay. I'm trying to see if there's any comments here that are relevant to this point uh, before we move on. Yeah, Michael is saying, okay, a monthly price, but how much is a fair price? I think that's all for you to set. Uh, that's totally yeah. up for you to set. Um, and the last model for the business model, right? So we've got the fixed fee, we've got hourly engagements, we've got this retainer and subscription model. And then the last model is kind of selling products or templates, which we're not going to dive into because that's going to be at the last of the next segment. This is just starting to grow in the Webflow ecosystem. And so we're going to hold off on this. We're going to run through. Um, those were the business models. Now we're going to talk about the roles, right? So the individual roles um, and the path that most people take. Right. So um, most people kind of picks, you know, uh, am I going to start as a freelancer? Am I going to start an agency? And this all depends on where you are in your career. If you're working at an agency and you want to start off on your own, maybe you go out as a freelancer part time. If you are working at an agency and maybe you've been doing that, you've got a client or two and now you land a big client and you want to go full time, you know, like maybe that's the umbrella you want to jump under as your path here. So, Joe, let's jump through the different paths. Let's talk a little pros and cons between the different roles that people can play. And uh, we'll continue to look at any comments as they come in and keep them coming in. Uh, some of these comments are, are good. Uh, they're just not super relevant to the conversation. So we can address them towards the end here. But, um, Joe, first role. Where most freelance. people start. <laughs> freelance, part-time, specifically part-time in freelance. I think a lot of people start in this industry that way. And this is the most flexible. That is the, the pro to being a part-time freelancer. You can turn it on and off whenever you want. Mm. You can take a project and then decide to take no more projects because your, your income is not completely inside this freelance it's part time you're doing it on the side of something that is bringing in money so this is a great place to start if you're just curious about it or you want to get get going see if you can juggle your current job and a little bit of part-time freelance yeah. and if you like it if you start liking that part-time freelance a little too much that's 
when it can turn into the full time. Yeah. That's when I like to think that it's, it's time to start making the move. Let's forget about money. Everybody has a different money situation, but when your part-time starts to be more fun than what you're doing on the full-time, that means you need to convert your part-time fun to your full-time. Yeah, and start thinking about like, what are the activities you can do even before you're freelancing? Like, let's say you're just considering and you're, you're thinking about jumping into the web world. What can you start to do outside of that that could set you up for success if you wanted to take those steps down the road, right? So maybe you're on the edge of freelancing, maybe you've got a job, maybe you're in a different industry and you're trying to figure out, I wanna get into this space. Well, what are the activities that you can start doing to get into that space? Well, you can start communicating with the community, right? Start interacting with the community. You can start working on a portfolio. You can start learning your skills. You can start um, connecting with people to maybe find a mentor, or maybe find some referral relationships. You could find people who are in the ecosystem in your area and get involved with a meetup or attend an event. You know, so there's all these things that you can do even before starting into that freelance role that can set you up for success as a freelancer. And I would say the biggest thing that most people fall short on is they say, all right, I'm going to go be a web developer. And then they go start learning all the web design stuff, but they forget that this is still a people business. At a certain level, you still need people to hire you. And so don't just get too wrapped up in learning the skills that you forget to set yourself up for potential success with some of these other kind of intangibles that you need to do as you start entering this freelance path, whether it's full-time or part-time. Um, and, you know, there's, there's some real simple pros and cons here. You know, you've got all the flexibility you want as a freelancer, especially when you go full-time. Um, you know, you've got the freedom to pick your projects if you're building good lead flow. Uh, and you have some of that walkaway power and you can work from anywhere. You know, income is, is fairly unlimited. You could build a nice little lifestyle business here. You know, you could sell five, 10, 20 websites a year, make a comfortable living. Uh, this is a great, a great place to be unless you're trying to scale, which we'll talk about in the next year. But then you can also run into issues with consistent income. Uh, you don't have a support team, so there's no one to fall back on when the workload gets too overwhelming. Uh, you start running up against deadlines, et cetera. And you have to be the master of all things, right? And so you have to manage everything that it takes to do the whole operation, which as you scale, as you get more than one or two projects at a time, you'll find starts to become fairly difficult. Um, Joe, any thoughts there before we move into like the next path here? I think that's where a lot of people who fail in freelance, they fail because they need to be the master of all things. Mm. And a lot of people don't want to do that. Some people don't want to sell. Some people don't want to market. Some people don't want to build the website. There, people want to do specific things. Yeah. And there are some people who want to do everything or can do everything or enjoy doing everything. And that's great. But there are a lot of people that do not. And that's totally okay. The, it's we'll see in the next one and the next one there's ways that you can still be in this industry and not have to be the master of all things yeah yeah and joe said you know maybe you don't want it maybe you're not capable of you know some people just yeah like maybe running the business isn't their thing or you know the legal stuff drives you nuts or the financial stuff is something you don't want to wrap your hands around or you know lots of places where the freelancing thing or or taking the next step Right. Maybe you can handle all that stuff as a freelancer, but maybe this is what stopped you from getting into the next one, which is kind of forming informal collaborations, maybe project by project, putting together, um, you know, little collaborations that maybe somebody does a little bit of design or you need somebody to do a little JavaScript help or you want to de delegate, 
you know, some of the project setup or the finish work or the responses. I, I don't know. There's a million places where you can delegate and start pulling people in to help you make these projects more successful. And this is the place where you experiment before kind of getting into that agency path. Uh, Joe, this is, you know, you started bringing people on. We've talked a lot about how you did it at first, where you started kind of splitting project revenue with folks uh, and that scaled into a team. And so, like, what are your thoughts here as people start to to think about informal collaborations, um, taking their freelance to the next level? You know, what's that step look like? Finding people that you like working with. Find somebody in this industry that is a good mix with you. It could be someone that does the exact same thing as you. It could be somebody that has different skill sets and you can complement each other's skill sets. It could just be somebody that you like working together and that you can share service with and you can refer business back and forth to each other easily. This is a great way to take some of the load off of the doing everything in the freelance side. Mm -hmm. And also it sets you up for the next one, which is build an agency. We won't get there yet, but this is the start of building an agency very naturally without any prior funding. Yeah. Kayla's making a good point here. Slowly learning that I can't do it all. Taming the control freak in me is hard, but necessary for growth. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's kind of the phase Joe was just talking about, right? It's like you hit this freelance path, you start getting a bunch of projects and you start figuring out how do you amplify your time because now you can't, you know, you can't juggle that many balls. And so you got to bring other people in that you can throw a couple of those balls to and maybe they can juggle with you. Uh, and that begins again, the baseline for a potential agency. Um, Let's see. Yes, Sine, I once created two, three websites in a startup incubator, learned a lot of web development. Great. Tanner, I think, is coming back to this value example here. I'll give an example. A potential client dropped their budget of 100K. We were going to quote 40K. Are we not supposed to quote the budget that they value the project at? Sure. If somebody gives you a, if they say, oh, yeah, we were looking to spend 100K on a project and you were about to pitch it at 40 then you just got a serious raise. Like you just, you know, like you could come in at 80 and still blow them away and double what you thought. That's not what I was talking about with the pricing, right? Um, so I, yeah, I think I, I explained what I meant with that pricing back then. But that's a good point. If, if, if you can get the budget from a client ahead of time, you know, maybe you are undervaluing your work there. If, if they were looking to spend 100 and you were in the $40,000 range, Joe, any thoughts there? I think this was not the comment about the value-based it was the comment about the the budget that had a high budget and said no to the small budget mm. or no that could be a different one i'm sorry uh let me let me just add on to what you were saying uh there's okay. the beginning of it tanner, but without the photo <clears throat> tanner without the the headshot there okay yeah i i got a really good piece of advice from an enterprise client we were working with a long time ago and this client yelled at me for quoting too low. She was very friendly to me. She was a really nice person. And she, she honestly said to me, hey, you are charging us half of what we have quoted for you. If you keep doing this, we're going to think that that is always your cost. And if you do anything above that cost, it looks weird. So she said, add this multiplier to try to get to this amount each month. Are, are many clients going to do that? No, but she did that for me. And she really made me think, don't underquote yourself. Yeah. If a company wants to spend 100K, get close to that 100K. If you quote the 40K, they may come back and say, this is too low. 
we don't value this enough. Just like if you're if you're buying a car and there's a car for a thousand dollars, your first thought is, well, that's not a very good car, because we're looking to spend twenty thousand dollars on a car, but this one's a thousand, so this is not what we're looking for. So don't underquote yourself. Yeah. Uh, and and also important to know if you do jump up to that eighty k, work your ass off to deliver at the highest possible amount you can. If you're supposed to do 40 and you're actually doing 80, give them double the work. Find a way to give them double the work because at the end of it, they'll love the value, you get the double cost, and everybody's happy. That's really the key. At yeah. the end of everything, everybody walks away with a smile. <clears throat> well, and I wanted to point out something that Joe said there because clients will do that. Because typically when you're working with these bigger clients, it's not their money they're spending. And so Joe must have had a really good relationship with this person he was dealing with for her to know and say, hey, look, we have this money set on our budgeting. We really like the work we're doing. And it was like a good looking out kind of moment. This is why you need to have great relationships with the clients, because sometimes things like that will happen. And that's a great benefit. But if you're a dick or <clears throat> if you know, you're not great to work with or if you don't have that relationship, maybe they're not gonna, you know, good looking out moment. You know, maybe they're gonna keep that budget for themselves and apply that budget somewhere else in their marketing spend or something that that they'd rather spend the money for. And so, um, yeah, just some things to think about. Let's jump back into building an agency. So we've taken that freelancer path. We've now started collaborating with folks. Um, go back to episode number one we did about hiring and scaling for growth. Literally the first episode of this podcast was all about how to think about growing your Webflow agency. Um, so, Go back to that episode if you want anything more on this, on, on building an agency. But that's kind of the next step, right? So you're freelancing, you start collaborating with folks, now you've got consistent flow, you're like, I wanna maybe hire a couple people full time, or I wanna bring this person that I've been collaborating with, we're gonna start a thing, you know, we're gonna incorporate and start an agency. So Joe, talk to me a little bit about that phase, building an agency and kind of taking all these pieces together to take the next step. This is where I start to see the, the change of personal, to company that when you're freelancing, you're by yourself, it just feels personal. You can call yourself an agency, you can brand yourself as an agency, but it really is personal if you're doing everything yourself. When I think agency, I'm thinking company, I'm thinking group, I'm thinking multiple services. This is, it's definitely the next step. I think no matter how good you are, there is a cap when you're a freelancer, you only have 24 hours in the day. And even if you work a lot, you make a lot of money, there has to be a cap. The true way to scale is when there are many people, when there's five, 10, 20, 100 different people on your team that can do all these different things. So it's the next step. You don't have to take it. That's uh, it's really important. I wanna make that really clear. It's a great step for a lot of people, but you do not have to make this step. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also lots of different types of agencies, right? So just because you start an agency doesn't mean you have to start a 50 person agency or a hundred person agency or become the world's biggest agency. You know, you could become like a little boutique agency and it could just be two or three of you. You know, it could be a small to medium tier agency. You could uh, get into a niche market and only do hotels for, or, uh, I'm sorry, websites for hotels or architects or lawyers or roofers or whatever it is, you know, and now you're an agency that just kind of focuses on that. Um, and so 
you know, maybe you want to be a development only agency. We're seeing a trend of that, right? Like FinSuite went development only uh, a little over a year ago. And over the last year, we've seen a number of other agencies kind of follow and do that same path. So like there's lots of different types of agencies you become and there's lots of ways to grow those collaborations. So don't just think that you have to model your agency like this other company is or, you know, um, FinSuite operates completely different than a lot of other businesses I've been involved in. And that's interesting to me. It's there's been points where I've had to learn and kind of say like, oh, I was expecting this, and then it's not, and that's that's okay. That's good, right? That that's it challenges people to kind of get out of their comfort zone. And we're in a world where like we're making up the rules how this goes. Like we're 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 building the new interfaces with how people interact with information. We're building the like the 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 interfaces for how like people connect, how they sell, how they like build memberships like so don't get stuck thinking like just the way it is is the way it has to be or the way that the other person's agency is is the way you need to make it right carve your own path and that's where this thing really gets like you know we are our own composers here you can do whatever you want in this space as long as you provide value at the end of the day um, you will be rewarded for that work (laughs) yeah absolutely there's your story made me think of a, a really unique you can call it an agency. I ran into these designers that just called themselves a a design collective. And it was a whole bunch of freelancers that just made a site together. And they were marketing their work and their services together on a site. And it was so informal. So yes, there's so many different paths here. Don't get stuck in one of them. Great points. Yeah. Um, Okay, so, and that's kind of like, um, those are the, you know, it's like freelance, small collaborations, and then agency. Those are like the three main tiers. And then these next few are just kind of like, we'll call them not necessarily ancillary because they could be their own direct paths, but um, they're less traditional ways to make money inside of Webflow. So um, the first one starts with template sales, you know, so Webflow has a template marketplace. You can sell templates directly to folks. I've seen people selling templates off of the, you know, outside of the Winflow template place and they want to manually transfer sites. And there's all sorts of ways you can build components or a little nugget here, a template, a clonable, uh, something like that, that you sell or a membership that you drive that, you know, somehow you deliver value back by creating resources. Um, Any thoughts on uh, template sales? I know there's a process for getting approved. Um, then each template has to be approved. There are some pretty strict limitations on like what you can do with the sites and how they need to be formatted and, and blah, 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 whatever. Um, but yeah, any thoughts on a template uh, marketplace? I know there's some folks making great money off of this. It's a tough nut to crack, so it's kind of hard to break into that space. But if you can, it can be great residual income. So in general, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the template stuff? Well, like you said, if you can, it can be great residual income. If you can, that means you're a great designer. You're not going to be denied for design. You're fast. You're not going to be spending weeks and weeks and weeks on this template. Uh, If you can do it, you enjoy it, and you start making money, keep doing it. Uh, I I think if you're interested in it, go and try it. And it doesn't have, your first one doesn't have to be in the Webflow marketplace. It doesn't have to be paid. You can just start creating these templates, see if people like them before you actually spend the real time going and making this something that you can profit on. Yeah. Yeah. And um, when I first started in Webflow, I started making clonables. And my first, uh, my next logical step was like, okay, I'm going to apply to be a, a template uh, designer. 
and I did. I, I applied and I didn't get accepted probably because my stuff wasn't like my, my naming conventions were garbage because I didn't understand anything about global classes. I did a little bit, but not truly understand. Um, and then by the time I figured all that out, uh, I was already selling my own websites. And then shortly thereafter, um, you know, I, I joined forces with uh, Joe here and the rest of that story is history. But um, yeah, you know, there's there's lots of paths here and it's not super easy. Right. Again, it's not easy to get in there, to be accepted, to do all the things right. And then even once you're in there, then you got to sell the templates. And so just because you're building templates doesn't mean you have to stop selling. It's just kind of a different sale when you're selling these resources, uh, which leads us into the next one, which is like products, plugins. This is the next step from templates. So the templates is like, hey, here's the style. Here's the framework. You can kind of use this skin. Uh, but we're seeing an ecosystem evolve now, uh, FinSuite leading the charge on a lot of that stuff, products and services inside of the space, but you've also got other people around the edges building a little plugin. You've got things like Wizd, you know, you've got member stack, you've got all these little tools that pop around the edges, even the other no code tools, right. That, that come into the space. Maybe you sell a service around those products, or maybe you build some kind of dashboard for folks, or, um, you're starting to turn instead of an agency or service offering, you're starting to productize what it is that you do, right? Whether that's a technical product, whether it's a plugin, a piece of JavaScript, whatever it is, um, that's kind of the next stage. Uh, and that's somewhere that I think if you're looking at this ecosystem and you're like, where's a huge potential to, to make money over the next five years, it's gonna be in, in that space, right? It's gonna be in adding on and building on this platform. That's one of the things a lot of us are waiting for, have our fingers crossed, is like, hey, Webflow, when are you gonna make this easier for developers to do their thing so that we can kind of really run off to the races here? So, Joe, any thoughts on that um, tier of kind of breaking into uh, product development? And I know we're uh, at an hour here, but we're gonna keep going because YouTube. This may be the most difficult one. Mm. This. It's one thing to build a product that people want and it works. And a whole other thing is getting people to use it. Mm. So we talked before about not needing to be loud and out there to be successful in Webflow. I think you have to be loud and out there to be successful in the products, plugins, and add-ons game. You can't be four years hidden and then come out with a product and expect everybody to know your product. You can be hidden for four years be influential for four years and then do a product, but getting people to use it, I think that's one of the most difficult parts. So although this is a really good potential, very, very good long-term potential, it is incredibly difficult. Yeah. And the worst thing is you build the whole thing and you can't get anybody to use it. Yeah. And now you look back and say, well, what did I do this for? Yeah. Yeah. And this is some of the fun of the no code thing, right? Is that you can... <clears throat> Um, and this is something you hear people talking about all the time in the no code space that because more people are getting into the software development and because more people, even if it's visual software development and because people can build more tools, that means that building the product is no longer like the biggest hurdle you face right now. Building the product is just something that people expect. They expect the solution to work. They don't really care if you use code or no code to build it. They just kind of, when I get to the thing, can I work and use the the thing that you said, is it going to do the thing you said it's going to do? Um, and so it actually becomes more important to do what Joe says, which is build an audience, build a community, build a user base, build outlets to distribute, right? Distribution is harder nowadays than it is to produce. And so this is one of those spaces where, yeah, uh, the residual income can be great here. The product can be great. But there's also things where like support can get out of hand, right? You can become overwhelmed with support. 
Uh, you can, it can be very difficult to penetrate the market. There's no official marketplace in Webflow yet. So there's no like place where people are coming for Webflow apps, let's say, where you can kind of sell your product. You have to do this outside. You have to generate all that attention. And so um, lots of pros, lots of cons there. Um, and then there's two other uh, kind of roles, I think, that you can use to make money. Um, prototyping might overlap. You know, you might be at an agency and do some prototyping. You might do some freelancing and you might do some prototyping. But I think this will evolve more and more um, as Webflow grows, that people will build in Webflow and hand off to dev teams, you know? And so I see a, a bigger outlet growing for not people necessarily doing web design, but prototyping actual software, taking somebody's Figma designs or XD designs or whatever designs and putting it into a workable prototype that's not a, um, like a Envision type or a proto.io type interface. It's like an actual front end. and. This is where I think things get real interesting because if you can plug live data into that front end as a service, right? Keep talking about that. But prototyping is an important role there where people will come on specifically to help product companies build and prototype inside of Webflow instead of going to one of these other tools that, again, abstracts that prototype process and still leaves you wanting HTML, CSS, et cetera. Joe, any thoughts on prototyping? Yeah, I agree with you. That's going to be something more and more popular uh, especially as we can start building quicker in Webflow. I expect people to get faster in Webflow, there to be more products for building faster in Webflow. And yes, this is definitely something to get into. This to me is the real value of no code is what I call the translation layer, right? It's getting from the design into the development. The better we get at that translation layer, at taking what we think the design should be and actually getting the developer to build what the design was intended to be, rather than the developer guessing because they have to take a static doc and turn it into a living element, um, the better we can get at that translation layer, the better software's gonna get, the more usable all of this stuff's gonna get, the better this whole experience gets. And so that's where I do see, again, um, just like the product stuff, I see big growth in this. It's slow right now, um, but I do expect this to accelerate. Um, and then the last role is a consultant role. Um, and again, we don't see a ton of this right now, even though I think a lot of us act as consultants. Um, but there will soon be a whole industry of just people consulting on no code. And there probably is some of that going on already. A lot of that overlapping with Webflow. And I think lots of people will uh, build businesses around consulting income in addition to the web stuff. So these will be those add-on services that you can use to build the subscription or the ongoing retainers or even just playing matchmaker, you know? And so there's a lot of places where a consultant role can fill in. Uh, and so maybe you don't necessarily have to be the best technical builder. You can be the relationship master um, and start, you know, pulling some of these pieces in um, and, and act as a consultant for companies that are looking to transition their existing website into Webflow, want to do an assessment as to whether they're solution is possible to build in no code. Like all of these things are stuff you can charge for. They demand value. So um, that I think is the last uh, role that you can take as a, as earning income in, re in web flow. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on the consultant there or any, any other um, revenue roles that, that we might've missed? Yeah. I like the consultant one. I think this will be so much more common as no code and web flow progresses. I think we're going to see a lot of consultants. There's a huge need for it right now. And you're right. Right now, the developers are playing the consultant. But people need to know information. And yeah, this is a whole, this is a whole mini industry just 
that that will be here right. very soon. Yeah, that's. I think those last three are really kind of emerging roles, right? Right now, yeah. lots of freelancers, lots of agencies, lots of little collaborations, uh, and not so many, but enough template makers. Template makers yep. is growing. And I think that that products, prototyping, and consultant role is really where there's going to be lots of growth. Not that there won't also be growth in freelance and agency stuff. I think that will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. But those will be kind of three verticals that people are not necessarily looking at, products, um, consulting, and prototyping, that I think will expand inside of the world of Webflow that maybe is not on a lot of people's radars right now. Uh, I'd yeah. be interested to know what the audience thinks. You know, did we miss any roles? Did we miss any business models? Do we miss anything as it relates to making money with Webflow? Obviously, we can't cover all of the use cases and potential outcomes, uh, but it, I'd be interested to know from you all uh, what your thoughts are on those roles or if there's anything we missed. Um, Joe, any, any, any other thoughts there? A lot of options. There's a lot of ways to make money here and it's all over. People are looking to spend money on Webflow. There's a lot of options to make money on Webflow. Yeah. So if you've been thinking about it, go do it. If you're already doing it, hopefully you've learned something to help you do it better. Yeah. Help you do more of it. Uh, this, you know, this is an important episode for those people who are on the fence, not sure about it, or looking to take that next step. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is to just get started, you yeah. know? Lots of people will sit around planning their perfect entry to the market and thinking about all these things they're going to do and how their software is going to change the world and blah, blah, whatever. But they never open the app. They never open Webflow. They never open Bubble. They never open whatever it is, right? Whatever the tool is, even Figma or whatever, anything. And they just never do it, right? Yeah. They, they, so getting started, putting the effort in, showing up every day, being consistent, you know, those things are way more important. We talk about uh, the resilience being more important than talent a lot of times. Um, and so just keep that in mind that at a certain level to make money and, and to go out on your own takes a certain level of resilience that it doesn't take to be an employee somewhere. Um, and um, I used to, <laughs> yeah, like uh, one of my favorite quotes in the world of sales is I just talked to the boss. He said, your raise is effective just as soon as you are. And I always hold on to that in the world of sales because literally when you're in one of these roles, you control your destiny. There's no one to go bitch about X, Y, or Z about. There's, you know, it's, it kind of falls on your shoulders. Um, and so that's the upside, but that's also the downside of it. And so balancing that, being prepared for that, not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur, to be out on their own, to deal with some of the stresses of maybe not landing the client in a month or two, you know, or whatever it is and having to squeak by and still having the resilience to push forward. And so it's a rough path to get to a, a place of success and comfort and stability in this space. Um, I've been through it. I appreciate it. Um, and yeah, uh, Joe, any, any, any other thoughts there before we kind of wrap up? It's a fun journey. It is. No matter what you decide to do, uh, how long it takes you to, to feel like you've, you've made it. It's a good journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Penny's saying, I've been resilient for the past 15 years. Go, Penny, go. Nice. Penny is a boss, by the way. I didn't like um, this is one of the things I really like about the meetups and hanging out with folks that um, you don't get in a lot of ways. Uh, she kind of moderated a table at this networking event we were doing. And I was like, damn, Penny over here doing it. You know, <laughs> she, she had everybody like moving real nice. And she, she was just. Yeah. So uh, resilience is good. Penny, you've got some skills over there. Don't give up. You're you're doing great work. Um, 
and and uh, I like to appreciate those folks who are in the community and and I don't know there's so, probably so many good stories out there. Um, let's see. Gargulek is saying, guys, you should build template market where we could sell templates made with client first. Easier to get in and more quality templates built with better naming convention. It's tough because you have to um, you have to then send people the templates one on one, and it's a hard way to like automate the you know template transfer process if you're selling templates outside of the marketplace. Um, that's why we just clone them. We just give, we just give away, let people clone them. And <laughs> Joe, any thoughts on that? It's a lot of work. We've, uh, there's been a lot of people that have told us to make a template marketplace with client first, but the reality is it requires a lot of resources. It's very expensive to get that going and to get people to use it. So may it happen in the future? Yeah. But right now we don't have the resources to go and build a whole marketplace mm. around that. Yeah. Yeah. Steven brings up a good point. Templates <laughs> will become more complex with logic and membership launching. This is for one, yeah. 1 million percent. Like this totally. is where I think I get excited in the idea of open sourcing software design as a whole, right? Because the platform's not open source, but the solutions could be. And yeah, Steven, you might be able to build some kind of marketplace solution. It's got memberships and logic baked in. And now I go in and I clone that and I have everything I need in, in the box, plus the ability to go in and manually edit anything visually. Uh, 100%. Good point, Steven. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fernando said, you should talk about digital nomads in the next chapter. I thought about doing, because I spent four months on the road, I thought about doing a stream about that. Because um, it, wasn't, it wasn't what I thought. <laughs> Being on the road was going to be, a lot of it was, was not what I thought. So yeah, digital nomads would be an interesting conversation. I'm not sure it's a topic for our Tuesday show, but um, maybe we're experimenting with some other types of content. So maybe as one of those episodes or... Uh, I've been even thinking about doing like a solo hang session on a private channel, just audience call and stuff. So we'll see. We will see where some of that goes. Um, okay. I don't see a whole lot else. If we missed your comment, I do apologize. There was a lot coming in during the stream there. 73 of y'all hanging with us at the end of the show here. 74 now. Uh, 34 likes. So leave your love. Um, we, we forgot one thing, actually. So two things. Um, share. Yeah. Share your love with the show. Let me make sure that gets up there. Uh, like the channel, subscribe to the channel. We are at what, like 9,400 subscribers, I think. So let's, let's get to that 10,000 number. Our goal is by the end of February. Let's see if we can get 600 subscribers this month. So, uh, tell your friends we're here every week, twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays and maybe soon other times, but Joe, any final thoughts before we climb out of here? That's it. Great episode. All right. Thank you everybody. Thanks everyone. Catch you next week. I'll actually catch you Thursday. We'll be here Thursday with Learn It Live. We're going to jump into, what is it, more fluid responsive stuff, client first stuff, Joe? Yeah, a little bit of both. Nice. Okay, catch y'all later. Bye.